Hey, this is Mark Iskowitz, and I'm here on day one of JPM in San Francisco with Will Febo, who is the CEO of Optimize RX. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing great. Nice to meet you. Likewise. And uh, I heard you had an exciting morning. How did the uh, NASDAQ bell ringing go? You know, that was really fun. There were about, I'd say, 25 CEOs, a group of CFOs, and, um, you know, NASDAQ does such a great job for their listing companies in terms of just support and creating a culture of, like, innovation and getting together. So, yeah, 5.30 a.m. there with my coffee ready to support the cause. But, yeah, it was fun to kick off J.P. Morgan. I've been coming for many years, um, but mostly in the periphery. This is the first year as a company we're actually presenting. Okay. Um, on Thursday morning. So to be part of the NASDAQ thing and also the wrap-up day, it's it's exciting. I've been in this business for a while, so it's good to be part of it. Yeah, nice. Nice. It's, uh, it's nice to be back here in person as well. It's the first in-person JPM since 2020. So I noticed there's um, that sentiment, the positivity around being able to gather together again. You notice that as well? I yeah, we yeah, I'm a people person. I think a lot of people get into healthcare because of people. So uh, naturally, they want to be together. Yeah, I'm seeing it too. There's less pushiness in the hallways. People are a little brighter, politer in the elevators, and in the streets, everyone's waving to each other. So it's good. And weather so far today has worked out, and it's not right, not too wet, right? And the uh, the superstorm that they were expecting, you know, that seems to have dissipated in the in the, in the Pacific, which is nice. So you know, we've both only been here for uh, you know a short time. It's day one. But what have you seen so far, you know, that's impressed you or, you know, what do you have, you have, have your eye out for here at JPM? Uh, well, we, we come to the, what we're presenting, like I said, so that's a big deal for us as a public company. We use these days to meet with our investors. So we do a lot of non-deal one-on-one. So we're not uh, currently in the market in any way. We're just catching up with people. We haven't reported Q4 yet, so it's pretty much just an update on the business. Um, we also meet with partners. We partner with a lot of EHRs, ERXs. We have a lot of clients, which all our clients are pharmaceutical companies, and they are all here. So it's a, it's a really busy couple days, and I use it as a chance to just meet with our clients and partners at a pretty high level. So it's not necessarily selling, but just checking in how we do and what can we, what are we doing, what are we missing, and I think. Uh, you know, from our perspective, optimize our perspective, it's um, how quickly is pharma going to shift to this digital way of accessing HCPs and patients in a way that drives better outcomes? Uh, because it's a relatively new shift, as you, as you know. They're trying to understand how digital can be effective. Mm-hmm. in their marketing strategy. Right. And so I'm really meeting with as many people as I can that are dealing with similar uh, shifts and just listening to perspectives, like how fast is it going to happen, at what degree, mm-hmm. how what's the experience been to date. And, um, you know, it's the first day. So by Thursday, I'll have a lot more. Uh, but so far, I've found um, people are willing to, to talk about it and they've all tried it over 21 and 22, some kind of digital outreach to physicians around affordability, access, or adherence. And generally, the outcome has been very positive. The question that I'm getting is, you know, are all these solutions scalable? Can you can you actually reach at a national level or global level? So I'll continue to focus on that while I'm here. Sure, sure. Obviously, uh, deal making is front and center here at the JPM. How was it in 2022 for your company, and what's your outlook for 23? Deal making in the sense of M and A and that kind of thing. Uh, well, um, you know, here striking 
it could be collaborations, partnerships with potential clients. But M and A, sure, if that's on your radar. Yeah, no, we're at, last year was um, obviously a tough year on the capital markets. A lot of valuations down, money costs, cost of money went up, so a lot of people just hunkered in and focused on their core business. That's what we did. Um, now that we're through that year, but still have market conditions which are uh, yet to be determined. Um, I think uh, I, I know I'm busy for four days straight. Probably the last time I was here on normal circumstances, I had downtime between meetings. This time I don't. So I think that's an indication that people want to talk, want to see what's going on. Um, I'm talking with existing partners, potential partners, um, and always meeting with investors because we're public. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, there was a study that just came out from KPMG that showed that um, in the biopharma services sector, deal volume fell by 12.5% last year, but demand for services uh, re- remains strong. Um, what, what are the challenges for the biopharma services sector from your perspective? Yeah, I, I think that um, we saw in 20 when the world was. Uh, when it was even harder to access physicians for in the industry side, they basically had to get educated on the amount of solutions because there's been a lot of investment in digital solutions from digital therapeutics all the way through to just adherence, access, affordability. 21 and 22 was the, were the years of trying. So a lot of piloting, a lot of experimentation. And 22 is really a year towards the end of measurement. Did it work? You know, how effective was it? And I think what we're hearing back from the client is a lot of it was effective, but then when they want to go to a scalable level and for pharma that's really important because you know they they can't just do these one-off projects they have to think long term how do they maintain that relationship with an hcp and or a patient in a way that helps drive better outcomes and business um and I think the you're, we're going to see in this year a lot of companies that just hit the wall where they can't scale. They have a really interesting tech. They have an access to a specific sector, maybe a certain segment of physicians or patients, but they don't have all the others. And so I think we're going to see late in the year a lot of consolidation and M&A activity in those solutions that can't scale but have really great tech and unique positions. It's too boutique for pharma to, to go into them in a big way. Um, but uh, first half is going to be a lot of measurement and picking those partners for long-term commercial partners. Sure. Talk about some of the drivers of demand uh, and some of those technologies uh, that you said that that uh, pharma is potentially looking for. I know um, there's a big emphasis on on AI um, and uh, that's driving demand as well as uh, real world evidence capabilities. Uh, talk about um, you know optimize RX's um, in- involvement there. Yeah, if you think about um, pharma and their need as this wave of specialty medications comes, which are complex and expensive, and and they have really limited access to physicians, and there's you know forty to fifty new indications a year coming to market, um, you know it's really hard to get mind share of the physician, and so I think when pharma looks at us, they say, okay, you OptimizerX is embedded into the workflow of the software doctors use when they're delivering care. Um, that we're invisible to the doctor, but we're embedded into the technology. So um, we don't get in the way of delivery care, but we're able to deliver specific content to the physicians as they're thinking about care. And we do that in a way which is non-disruptive, non-pop-ups, nothing, you know, nothing sort of traditional internet marketing. And I think that's the key to this whole um, ability at point of care to influence um, outcomes, to just get patients to start and stay on therapy, which is our driving mission. 
Um, so pharma is here thinking about, well, here they're talking to a lot of investors, but when we meet with them, they're saying for my oncology practice, can I scale with you as a company? And, um, and the answer is yes, we can do that. We're, we've we've invested wisely over the last couple of years, and um, we're really looking to be a commercial partner with pharma at that table where Viva would be or IQV would be for data and Viva for CRM. We want to be that point of care communication. So um, if you think of uh, the care journey of any patient, they're they enter the hospital, they go through various clinics and places. Um, we're embedded into the software that the HCPs or doctors use all through that. And we can see how things are going and deliver the right information at the right time to help that patient start and stay on therapy. So I'm really excited about this year because I think some of the noise will die down on some of these smaller solutions that just can't scale. We're steady and we'll keep going. And, um, and we're, you know, we're a smaller, innovative company, so we're really excited to for more growth. Sure. Yeah. And uh, you connect about 60% of healthcare practices, as I understand it, right, in the country? At the ambulatory level. So if you think of um, that, that's where most of the prescribing happens. So that is our focus. And it's very fragmented. You know, there's over 500 EHRs. We reach you know, over 400 of them through various partnerships. So it's a, it's a very elegant solution for pharma who's trying to market to cardiologists throughout the country. Instead of going to lots of different vendors, they can come to us. We basically look at who they're trying to reach, how they should. We've been doing it long enough that we can actually advise them how they should. And to your question on AI and real-world evidence, we've, um, over the last two years, we've taken another step where, you know, if you think about the physician, when they're sitting down with you or I, they don't have our complete medical record, right? We may be in three different systems, which they don't see. That's a big problem. That That's an industry problem. But what we decided to do is have a foundational data set where we can see patients. We don't necessarily look at the individual name, but we look at the profile of that patient and say, you know, this is a lot like a cohort of patients here it's time to deliver this type of message to that physician. And and that's using an algorithm, so it's AI broadly. Um, and it, it delivers it really it's it's really highly specific messaging at the point of care. And um, we're really it, 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 it for us as a team it's it sort of drives culture because in a positive way because we've actually been able to help patients directly by doing that. So think of a patient who's entering that donut hole where costs go up because of the insurance structure. Well, we can alert a physician to someone who's going to enter that so they can get into a patient assistance program before they enter. And we're talking that's like thousands of dollars for a patient, which is a big deal. They usually drop the therapy and, you know, not good things happen. So we're really excited about that. That's a great application of AI and real-world evidence at point of care. And that's one of our growth drivers going forward. It really also, also helps the manufacturer, too, because I was in a presentation this morning, I think, um, and uh, with Gilead, I believe, and they were saying how they were talking about the pandemic's impact on HIV therapy. And they were saying there were some access disruptions um, due to the pandemic. And when that happened, it forced patients to go over to a generic version of this particular product. And then when the access issues got um, sorted out again, they, they transitioned back over to the branded product. Maybe was it maybe it wasn't Gilead. Maybe it was actually Regeneron. Anyway, uh, so that can help you know patients stay on brand. Yeah, and and you know physicians' preference is that they stay on that. You know they they they've already gone through the education of it, and so but financial decisions and adherence can change a lot of things. So. 
I think it's a very positive outcome for industry, patient, and physician. My brother's an oncologist, so I always try to balance, you know, capitalism with, you know, the right thing. And in this case, I think OptimizerX is really in a sweet spot of sort of pleasing all parties. We don't work with payers, so I can't talk to that, but the pharma, physician, and patient. Sure. And you mentioned uh, point of care, that space is important to the company. Uh, I noticed a point of prescribing is also a, a, something that was a value proposition. Just address that briefly, what you mean by point of prescribing versus point of care. Yeah. So, point of care is a pretty broad term. Right? It's anywhere care is delivered. So, today you could even say in pharmacies, uh, there's point of care. Point of prescribe is when the physician is at a computer and they're prescribing medication. And so, and those are, that's where the EHRs are and the ERX companies and those are the partners we partner with. Okay. So, um, I believe, you know, doctors are spending six to seven hours a day on that software. So, if, if you're trying to get the attention of a physician, that's a place to do it. You just have to do it in a way that doesn't disrupt care. So, there's a fine line there. And um, we partner with the EHRs. Their, their clients are the physicians. And so, that's priority number one. And then we enable access, affordability, and adherence content to just drive the patient to get better care. Sure. Okay. All right. Great. Well, this has been great. I also didn't want to let you go without kind of getting your outlook uh, for things that you're excited about uh, for the company, uh, maybe also, you know, on a personal or career front, you know, for, for the year ahead. Yeah, thanks. Alex. Um I I think we're we're going to deal with a tough economy for, you know, this year. I don't, you know, some people are saying 6 months. I'm not an economist, but I think um Bad economies actually force you to be really smart about your business. We're fortunate. We have cash. We generate cash. We're profitable. Uh, we're not worried. We, we're thinking long term. Uh, personally, I, um, I'm really excited because I actually think for the first time on a commercial side with this RWE and AI-based solution, we're going to do good too. And so, for me, you know, I'd, I'd love to be a capitalist. I've been you know, a business person, but if you can do that and make a difference, um, so we're we're very fired up about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Doing doing well and doing good certainly a good you know, balance to strike. Yeah, not always easy in healthcare because there's, there's so many conflicting interests and different perspectives. And um, but yeah, I think we have the patient as our you know our true north uh, physician to enable just better information. And um, you know, physicians are, are have tough jobs, very tough jobs. And so well, I've been focused on putting myself for 20 years between industry and physicians because the two don't communicate well together on their own. But they're they're. It, they're absolutely essential to you know getting good hair healthcare. Absolutely, both are essential, and the two of them communicating well are essential. So yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Song. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.